Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, let's start with today's episode. We love topics about lead generation. We get a lot of requests for this, and then we get requests going deeper into niches, lead generation for coaches, lead generation for chiropractors, lead generation for attorneys. What about lead generation for service businesses? This is something I'm not sure we've really zeroed in on, at least at the level that you're going to hear today here on Business Creators Radio Show. And to help us get a fresh perspective on lead generation for service businesses, I have with us Ken Costales. He is a remarkable young entrepreneur, founder, and lead consultant of Monolith Growth Consulting, which is a paid search and social marketing agency that helps Spotify stores and lead generation businesses around the world grow their revenue and return on investment, also known as ROI, also known as our friend Roy. Ken is a 2019 featured honoree in 40, excuse me, Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia for marketing and advertising. What sets, Ken's, what sets Ken's agency apart is he skillfully builds fully paid ad funnels for his clients, maximizing their performance and client retention, growing their revenue and leads faster, which has led to over 90% of his clients retaining his services on a monthly basis. Wow. Ken Costales, come on in. The weather's fine. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Adam. Certainly. Before we dive in, I know some of our listeners at this point are starting to lean in, open separate browser tabs. They're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles looking to discover more about Ken Costales, and I'll spell your name, Mm -hmm. K-E-N-N-C-O-S-T-A-L-E-S, you're welcome, and his website, monolithgrowth.com. So let's Mm -hmm. take a quick step back. And Ken, if you could tell us a little bit more about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I got all the stats from your bio, but let's hear a Mm -hmm. bit more about the man. Sure. Um, So just for my background, um, I used to work uh, at a corporate job. So I used to work within uh, brand management. Um, So we helped uh, some like well-known brands like Head & Shoulders, Olay, etc., grow their sales, uh, essentially online, uh, not online, but also offline as well. Uh, so while that was on the B2C front, um, I wanted to start my own thing. Um, so after I quit my job, I decided to start my own digital marketing agency. So I basically took all of the skills that I learned um, in my corporate job and then applied it uh, to um, my business. And I use it uh, to help um, clients, um, whether it is in the US or in Asia or even in Europe, um, I, I help them grow their sales online. So we specialize in a couple of um, verticals. Um, one is what you've said, Shopify stores or e-commerce stores. Uh, but a good chunk of our business is also lead generation businesses. So that's a quick run through of my background. Yeah, we have a different, we have a number of different approaches I want to take in our time together that yeah. all go 
go back to the idea of lead generation for service businesses. What I love is how you create complete ad funnels and you also have yes. a different set of approaches depending on the platform. So what we're going to do now is we're going to mm -hmm. start with just going through a few of the platforms you're familiar with and get some of your insights on those. Let's start with my own personal favorite, if we may, LinkedIn. So right. tell us, why in your experience have you found LinkedIn outreach to be better than Google AdWords for lead generation? This is something you wanted to share with us. Sure. Um, so one particular situation where LinkedIn outreach works well is uh, for larger businesses uh, because uh, you won't not necessarily see a uh, small business owners uh, on LinkedIn. So if you're targeting a larger organization uh, with a procurement department or with a middle manager that you need to reach out to, uh, these um, or this channel tends to perform well. In terms of the hard numbers, um, the 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 way that we measure success um, in LinkedIn, at least uh, on the top of the funnel, is that uh, we measure it based on uh, response rate, um, and we. Uh, and as a comparison metric, uh, we look at uh, click-through rate or rather conversion rate for other channels uh, like Facebook and Google. So in terms of the hard metrics, the response rate or people being interested in what you're offering is about 7 to 15% depending on the industry. And for Facebook, it ranges from about uh, 4 to 7%. So in terms of hard numbers, the response rate is much, much higher. Um, on top of that, you can go straight to... Um, a meeting um, well, if you use a LinkedIn uh, outreach. In Facebook and Google, what, what normally happens is that uh, people first subscribe to your uh, PDF or subscribe to your newsletter before they get ready um, for your offering. But if it's LinkedIn outreach, um, if, you, like, if you just request or if you just show your offer um, and if you make that invitation, uh, maybe they are uh, ready um, at that point in time. So we do notice that uh, meetings get secured in a much faster rate in LinkedIn outreach versus uh, Google or Facebook. Yeah, what I wanted to make sure our listeners understand is that yeah. when I say LinkedIn outreach, I'm not just saying, well, outreach out to people on LinkedIn. I'm saying there's an actual platform called LinkedIn outreach. If you could clarify that for us for a little bit more so the people fully understand what we're getting at. Sure. Um, so just to clarify on that point, um, so what I mean by LinkedIn outreach, at least the way we do it is that it's done in an automated way. Um, so we use a third-party tool called uh, Linked Helper, so L-I-N-K-E-D space helper. And what it does is that it automates the process of reaching out to a whole bunch of people. Um, so what happens uh, in that platform is that uh, you select a, a defined set of keywords. So say, for example, you are a um, interior design um, service firm. And uh, what you're trying to find is um, some co-working spaces um, in your area uh, where they might be interested um, in your interior design service. So it could be a co-working space or it could be any type of business that you desire. Um, so that's like one filtering criteria. And the other filter that you apply as well is the position. So you can essentially filter based on the industry or company name, and you can also filter based on the position. So you can literally reach out to owners in an automated way, let's say 50 um, outreach emails per day uh, through the software without doing it in a manual basis. So and the outreach as well is customized. So it will automatically input the person's uh, first name. Um, it will automatically input the person's industry. So you get to personalize your messaging in a scalable way um, through LinkedIn outreach, specifically the tool called uh, Linked Helper. Yeah, that sounds great. You also have done studies and comparisons through real-time case studies and testing that have demonstrated that based on your experience, Facebook mm -hmm. ads also turn around better in terms of return on investment than 
Google AdWords. So what are some of your findings when it comes to that? Sure. Um, so just to set some context for everyone, because there's three channels, right? So there's LinkedIn, um, there's Facebook and Google. Okay. So LinkedIn outreach lends better um, for larger businesses. So folks, um, if I were to put a number in it, um, it would be 30 employees and above. Uh, but for Facebook and Google, that tends to work better for uh, employees uh, with an employee base size of 30 and below. But that said, just drilling down deeper into Facebook, um, I think the key reason why Facebook in general works better uh, versus Google is simply because of supply and demand. So if you think about it, if you think of Google specifically, you only have a certain set of keywords uh, to target from that's relevant to your niche. So for example, if you're selling um, interior design services, then you probably have um, like a few keywords to work with, uh, like hire interior designer, um, hire um, uh, interior designer in the Chicago area. So it's it's a very few set of keywords. Therefore, um, just because of supply and demand, um, there's a whole bunch of demand um, for these very few keywords and the price um, spikes up. So the range of the cost per clicks that we're seeing is about $10 to about $20, depending on the uh, area. So that's for Google. Facebook is cheaper simply because of the breadth of targeting options that you have, which means because of the much larger supply of targeting options, uh, you don't get as much competition. So I think if there's like one phrase um, for people to understand why Facebook works better than Google, it's simply because of less competition for the targeting options that you have. And as a result, you get better results. And the great thing about Facebook is that you can target based on occupation, you can target based on um, employer even, uh, and you can target based on industry and interest. Uh, and one hack which I really like is uh, to actually target people on whether or not they are Facebook page administrators, because that's a proxy on whether or not a person is a business owner, because business owners tend to be the administrators, administrators of their Facebook page, right? So, but while you do get some marketing managers into the mix, I would say 80% of people who are Facebook page owners or Facebook page administrators are also the, um, the business owners as well. But to summarize, yeah. uh, Facebook works better versus Google simply because of the much larger um, targeting options that you have, which means you have less competition in the auction. Yeah, we're talking about reach, riches and niches and right. going, uh, finding the narrow and deeper niches, which is really what you deal with when it comes to branding, particularly local branding and also service mm -hmm. businesses because they tend to serve niches. So you've given a, a great comparison between different ad platforms and different outreach platforms. And you've already asked me to ask two questions about how such mm -hmm. and such compares favorably versus Google AdWords. Is Google AdWords good? Does it have a purpose? Um, Google AdWords um, is good if you don't have well-funded competition in that space. So just uh -huh. to give you some perspective, uh, we have one client um, which is in the IT staffing space. So what they basically do is that they help um, people find uh, front-end developers, back-end developers overseas. Now, yeah. that space is extremely competitive. You have companies mm -hmm. like um, Upwork, TopTal. Uh, you have these outsourcing outsourcing firms who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even millions um, every year um, in that space. So the cost per clicks that we're seeing there is about uh, $20 to $25. That said, uh, because of the very strong competition in its space, what we've done in Google, and just to answer your question real quick, the answer is yes, but with a certain caveat. And that caveat is that 
you know, as you alluded to earlier, you need to focus on a particular niche. Now, for this particular client, the IT staffing firm, what we did was that, okay, let's break down all of your services. Let's find a service where there's not a lot of competition. And we identified two specific keyword sets where there wasn't a lot of competition, which is AWS developer. So AWS is Amazon Web Services. And the other service that they're offering, which doesn't have too much competition, is a NetSuite a web developer. So we then targeted those keywords. And what happened was that the cost per clicks dropped. So it dropped to about $1 to $2. Sure, the volume will be lower. But in terms of ROI, which matters more at the end of the day, um, it worked out well for them. So that's how we uh, solved the problem within Google. Great. Great. So let's shift this for a moment towards brick and mortar businesses, which mm -hmm. in many cases are local businesses. Although it has been my argument for the longest time that the moment mm -hmm. you have a website, you become a global business because anybody can access you. But realistically, mm -hmm. in terms of markets, what can brick and mortar businesses do to attract more qualified leads? Because I know that's sure. a niche. Okay. So just to give an example, uh, let's say uh, restaurants, uh, because uh, we're serving one restaurant client right now. The yeah. way that we're driving, because the goal there is not really clicks or it's not even leads. The goal is really foot traffic, right? So yeah. the way we drive foot traffic is to, uh, well, first there's a website, obviously. And the second part uh, is that uh, there's what we call a, um, a bridge page. So the bridge page contains a form, but what sets it apart from other pages is that, you know, as the name um, or as uh, or, or as what the name alludes to, it's literally a bridge from online to offline. And the way it does it is that it has an offer which says, hey, if you go to our restaurant um, within a particular time frame, let's say 3 to 7 p.m., um, which is kind of the dead hours for that restaurant, then we're going to offer a couple of things. One is a 30% off on every order that you have. And the second thing you're going to offer as well is free dessert. So it's a way to force foot traffic um, to your location. Um, and what will make it even better is if there's some sort of urgency, meaning if it's a time-limited offer, that's going to work out as well. I think one great example of a brick-and-mortar business doing extremely well in the online space um, is this restaurant called... Um, Darn, I forgot the name of the restaurant, but it's a Chinese restaurant um, in California. Hopefully, um, my memory kind of jogs back, but it's a Chinese restaurant. And what they do is that they have seasonal offers on every single month. So every single month, they put up a, a special bridge page. So say, for example, it's February or January. They offer a Chinese New Year um, offer, um, which is only claimable within a certain time frame. But again, just to kind of summarize everything, what you need to do if you're a brick-and-mortar business is that you need to have a bridge page and you need an offer that forces foot traffic in a particular time frame and for a particular day in the month. I see. So what I'm hearing, just to recap, is you're looking for limited time offers or some sort of ethical scarcity. And yep. the ultimate goal when it comes to brick and mortar businesses, because they're physical locations, ultimately mm -hmm. you want people to walk into them. So it's great to have subscribers and things like that. But in yeah. the end, you want people to come into the store. Um, exactly. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, I dabbled in some of this stuff, and I did a campaign with a jewelry store that sold a particular type of jewelry, and we built a landing page for them. It was an extremely simple offer. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was, I mean, the mechanics of it were fairly simple, but the offer had two pieces. We had, the, 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 this back up, this was a jewelry store that sold patriotic-themed jewelry. 
So mm -hmm. we positioned it as the owner of the store being um, an outspoken advocate on certain issues was planning to write a book about the importance of teaching school children in America history and patriotic values. So here was how, here's how it worked. And again, he had a niche audience that tended to align with his views on this. Mm -hmm. They would go to a forum and they would, uh, they would basically do four, they would enter three or four pieces of data. One piece mm -hmm. was, was to share their thoughts on why this is important, why school children should be taught these values. Then the second was a check mark indicating whether that the person's name could be used in the book or whether they preferred their comments remain anonymous. Then they entered their name and their email address. After they clicked submit, they were given a one-time coupon, 10% off their next purchase on the store. So we were combining information gathering with spurring sales by getting people in the door on buying the jewelry. Now, what was cool about it is we didn't say the book will be released on April 7th, for instance. All he said was, I'm writing a book. He didn't say mm -hmm. what type of book. He didn't say if he was going to be an e-book, a paperback, a hardcover, a Kindle, what? He just said he was writing a book. And actually, all he said was he was writing a book. Another semantic. He never said he planned to publish it. Just that he was writing it. So it was completely factual. There was no hullabaloo, no hocus pocus mm -hmm. about it. It was just giving people a sense of feeling they were contributing to something. Ultimately, he did release it as an ebook, and as I seem to remember, it was pretty well received. But the idea was is to generate common cause based on the niche that you're serving and then reward them with an opportunity to save some money on the products of the store. Now, that jewelry store had a physical location in the town where the guy lived, and it did about 60% of its business, maybe 70% of its business through e-commerce around the country. Wow. So he had an interesting hybrid there. Just wanted to share that story and see if there's anything that, you know, anything that comes to mind for you with that and anything that with your knowledge you might have done differently. In fact, let me ask a specific question. We didn't run ads on that. This was all organic. Mm -hmm. Let's say you were to run ads on it. What, how would you do that? How would you go about that? What platforms would you use? What would be some of the questions you would ask as you create the strategy, just so our listeners have a framework? Sure. Um, so we've done a similar campaign. So it was um, executionally different, uh, but I think the main principle is the same, um, which is to get people to submit their data um, in the context of uh, you know a, a common topic of interest. So for example, uh, one of our clients, um, so they sell uh, 3D modeling services for architects and engineers. Right. And um, one thing that we did for them is that we created this educational uh, PDF. It's a downloadable PDF. And it was about how architects can regain control over their projects. Because a big pain point for architects is that uh, the contractors, the engineers, and the business owners tend to micromanage the design. So the architect's original vision cannot be achieved um, in the project. So, and the tool that helped them, or rather the service that helped them um, get more control was through the service that one of our clients is offering, which is basically the 3D modeling software. So what we did there is that um, we wrote down like a landing page. So the landing page has a form. 
um, and the architect can input their data and they'll be able to download the PDF. Um, so that's how we generated uh, leads uh, for that particular context. But in terms uh -huh. of the ads that we ran uh, for that, so the, the way that we ran ads for that was um, two things. Um, one is within Facebook itself, there is a section called detail targeting. So if you're familiar with the Facebook platform, it's within ad sets and within the ad set section, you can input uh, like detailed targeting options. Within that area, there's this um, like selection called work. And within work, you can target people based on occupation. So once you type in in that field, in the occupation field, the word architect, you'll be able to target architects within your specific area. So that's what we've done. And the ad, the ad didn't talk about some sort of offer or anything like that. It was all about, hey, um, we have this informational PDF, which will help educate you on how to fix your pain point. Because if you go to any architecture forum, like if you just Google right now into, the, into these architecture forums, the first thing you're going to see is a lot of like complaints about, hey, I'm losing control over my project or it's hard to manage my engineer. So we try to leverage that pain point, of course, done in an ethical way because our software does solve that pain point. So we then tell them a conceptual solution, which is, hey, you need a much more structured way uh, to manage your project and you need more tools to kind of force people to follow and adhere to the structure and the requirements of those tools to get more project control. So that was what all the PDF is all about. And then right at the end of the PDF, there's a link to uh, get into a meeting with any of the sales folks. But I think the principles are still the same in a sense that, hey, here's an offer, not an offer rather, uh, but rather it's a PDF downloadable that solves your pain point. And there's a Facebook ad, which is highly targeted. So it's based on an occupation and it's based on a particular area. And it uses an insight that's relevant for them based on the research that we've done in forums. They download it. They won't be ready for a meeting right then and there. So in terms of the hard numbers, the people who are ready for a meeting is about five to 6%. But that said, for a budget of about, let's say $1,000 per month, it gives, you about, um, it gives you about 70 to 90 leads per month, roughly. Um, so, we, so we got that quantity of leads and that's an amazing lead base because you can, you can basically email these people for free in the future. So you're making a 1,000 investment for future sales later on. So that's the entire funnel that we built for that um, specific uh, 3D modeling service client. Yeah, not bad at all. So let's move on to the next question. And this mm -hmm. is something that is a, a lot of concern to people, mm -hmm. even some of my clients for my consulting business who run social media ads that they have other companies run for them. So mm -hmm. their concern is getting quality leads instead of tire kicker leads. What is, what do you, consider what do you help to build into the process to help people avoid getting too many tire kicker type leads where they're paying the money but the lead ain't going to be worth nothing right um so the way that we do this is that uh so um what we normally do here is that uh, we set a meeting with uh, the sales team so whether it's the business owner or the sales team we set a meeting with them and we have this conversation, but just stepping back a bit, the assumption here is that the business has been running for about one to two years. So my general advice to service businesses is that you shouldn't be doing ads way too early in the process. So if you're not very clear yet on your profitable or high value niche, I wouldn't run ads as of yet. So I would recommend uh, doing like the old traditional organic sales for the first uh, one to two years. 
But that aside, so assuming that this client or this person has been doing business for about a couple of years, the first thing that we do is that we set a meeting. Set a meeting and we try to understand and break down all of the people that they've sold to over time. And we try to identify different target markets um, that these people uh, belong in. So just for an example, again, just using the IT staffing firm as an example, um, it was great in a sense that apart, because if you break down the IT staffing space, um, there's things like Python developers, Ruby developers, AWS developers, etc. So a bit of a technical term, a whole bunch of technical terms here. But the key point was that we identified some niches while they had an opportunity in terms of Google AdWords, um, in terms of like low competition keywords, we excluded them because uh, they weren't really like valuable um, leads in the sense that if we close that lead, the contract value is going to be very small. So let's say the contract value is only $5,000 as compared to an AWS developer where helping someone find the right staffing um, or rather find the right developer costs about, let's say, $10,000 to $15,000, just throwing a number out there. But the main point is that uh, we help them find or help them break down um, what are the best target markets to begin with. So that's step number one. And then step number two is that on the form itself, so apart from the regular information that people ask for, which is name, email, phone number, there's also additional fields that we ask to identify whether a lead is a quality lead or just a target lead. Because it's honestly unavoidable to get people um, who are unqualified. But the least thing that you can do is that you should be able to at least identify which are these target leads and therefore should ignore them, not call them, and instead call of these other guys. So for these, uh, for the IT staffing um, firm, which I mentioned, uh, the fields that we have identified to help them qu qualify the lead is to ask for what type of technical field they're looking for help on. So is it in Amazon Web Services? Is it in NetSuite? Is it in Python or is it in other? For everything that is not NetSuite or AWS, we just ignore it. Okay, so that's example one. Example two, in the interior design space, the way that they qualify whether or not a lead is, is, um, is good or not is uh, through a couple of questions. One is the size of their unit. So is it less than 100 square meters? Is it, is it 100 to 200 square meters? Is it uh, 200 plus square meters? That's criteria one. And criteria two is um, what or for what purpose is, um, is the request for? So is it for your own home or is it for a business? So usually people who are looking for interior design help um, on a business standpoint and for a given size, then that helps um, them out in terms of finding the quality leads. So that's like one important part. So I've like talked a lot about this because it's extremely important because once yeah. you get to the informational PDF section, once you start writing the PDF, like writing for the right target market is extremely important because you don't want your team or you don't want yourself wasting time on writing a PDF that's about, um, let's say, like Python development, but you're not, but Python developers isn't exactly the best target market for you. And it's actually AWS developers. So having that, self-reflection phase, whether it's by yourself or whether it's through an agency, is extremely important. Like you need to list down, hey, these are my target markets and this target market has a high contract value. This one has a low contract value. And apart from niching down on the persona, you also niche down on your content so that you get those quality leads. I want to highlight one of the very first things that mm -hmm. you said, Ken, is that if I heard you correctly, you said 
if you're launching something, don't necessarily leap straight into an advertising strategy online at first. Mm -hmm. Did I hear you say that correctly? Yes, that's correct. Because that is a lot different from a lot of the advice that I've seen out there, which comes mm -hmm. down to basically start your advertising immediately even before you launch to gauge interest for it, to pre-build a list for it. And you're arguing mm -hmm. the opposite of that. Yes. Um, I think it, well, I think the reason why I recommend that it's really based on your capital situation. So if you do have the capital to spend, because I've seen some um, services businesses uh, have, let's say, $10,000 or $20,000 in capital to spend for that testing process, that's all well and good. But if you're in a situation where you need to be very economical in terms of capital, um, I would suggest that uh, you don't. And instead, at least the way I did it, just to give um, some additional uh, flavor on my background. Like when I started my own digital marketing agency, I didn't do any digital marketing, ironically. Um, so I think for the first six months, uh, the way I generated clients for myself was number one through LinkedIn outreach, because that's a very economical option. And number two, um, what I also did as well was uh, through networking. So I joined a whole bunch of conferences. And I think this is important because you will, um, sure, there's like a testing process, but um, in terms of ads, but it's just more cost effective in that way. So that's where I'm coming from. Like if you want to be an econ if you want an economical approach to starting your business, especially if, you, if you're like less than one years old, uh, I would do it organically instead of just going straight uh, for ads. Okay, that make that makes sense. And I've mm -hmm. also seen the extent to which people will leap into doing advertising years ago. Now, mm -hmm. and I want to be clear that, you know, running ads is not something that my, any of my companies have ever done. Candidly, it's not really something that interests me personally all that much. The reason I have you on this show is because I know a lot mm -hmm. of our listeners are interested. So yeah. you are a subject matter expert. You are somebody who has done this highly successfully. And mm -hmm. we brought you on because our listeners have, have asked me to bring on more experts like you. And I know you had a very unique story mm -hmm. to tell about this. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, here is one of the approaches that I actually got is somebody asked me if it would be possible for me to become an expert in running ads in 24 hours and have a campaign up and running within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I, I'm stifling the urge to laugh at the memory of that because uh -huh. of how mm -hmm. silly it is. Yeah. So what I want to, if you could, help us understand is the extent to which advertising is indeed a science and is there any luck to it or anything like that? In other words, what type of skill set should somebody be looking for when they're engaging a partner to help them get leads for a service business or a brick and mortar business using advertising strategies? Okay. So I think in terms of the skill set that you need to look for um, when you're evaluating agencies is that they need to commit to you a pipeline. So what I mean by pipeline is that uh, every single week, they should come up with new targeting options um, and new um, ad copies. And this is extremely important because uh, there is a decay factor um, when it comes to ads. And what I mean by a decay factor is that uh, like Mark Zuckerberg um, said himself that if the frequency, uh, frequency means the number of times a person has seen an ad, if it exceeds eight in a given month, then the algorithm will deprioritize um, that ad. 
Um, so if you're looking for a particular agency, they need to commit to a certain pipeline for you over time. Like there should be like committed a committed um, uh, decision to churn out some new ads and new uh, targeting options a week in and week out. So uh, that's one thing that you definitely watch out for. Uh, in terms of, so that's like one thing. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is there's also a um, a bit, one thing that you also need to evaluate is the ability to do research. Um, it's a bit hard to evaluate, but the best way to evaluate and see this is by requesting an audit. So every time you engage in an agency, you will need to ah. give yourself confidence that, hey, this agency actually knows what they're doing and they know much more than me. Therefore, you need to ask for a website audit or an advertising audit if you're running ads right now so that they can demonstrate to you, hey, this is the type of work that we deliver. This is the type of research that we will give for you. Um, and uh, therefore, this, 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 this should convince you of our capability level. And if an agency says no, then you should ignore that agency. Because like, to be frank, uh, the agency business is a pretty um, large space. Like, you have a lot of options. So I, wouldn't, I would actually recommend like, engaging a lot of agencies Asking for audits, ignore the ones who don't give you an audit. And once they do give audits to you, um, it should be done in our way, um, in a sense that we do it manually because there's some agencies that use some automation software to try to save time, which I get. But uh, I mean, this is the business where you need to demonstrate and show your capability. Uh, so when you're evaluating an agency, you should ask for a proper audit. Those are a couple very interesting things. So I would, mm -hmm. if I were to consider hiring an agency such as yours, I would want to have you perform an audit because I, and I guess the way to put this in one sentence is just to see what your thought process is, what exactly. are some of the things you're going to look at and what are some of the things you're going to consider so that I can gain a comfort level that you have the capability to do, do the research and insights necessary. Uh, exactly. I find mm -hmm. it, what I also wanted to highlight, just make sure our listeners heard this, is I guess we could call it the rule of eight, where mm -hmm. if a particular person gets shown your same ad more than eight times in one month, it could be deprioritized. And I've noticed candidly that a lot of people I know who I see running ads all the time, it seems like every week, even if the ad is similar, it changes just a little bit. Now, sometimes I attribute that to they're doing split testing or other forms of testing to determine what converts most. But now I'm wondering is maybe a piece of that just that they're changing up the ad by a few words or putting in a slightly different picture and resubmitting it just to help to avoid the rule of eights. Yes, that is exactly correct. And it doesn't have to be a huge change. So if you're DIYing ads right now, if you're doing it yourself, uh, it can be a simple headline change. Um, and the Google, not sorry, not Google, but the Facebook algorithm will reset and it will go back to zero. So uh, the counter will back to zero and then it go back up to eight and then it can reset again after you change um, your ad. Oh, great. Great. See, that's something that I hadn't even thought of until now, mm -hmm. which is why we have you on. So awesome. uh, let's speak about service businesses for, this, for a moment. And this is something mm -hmm. that I think is very important for us to understand. I love to use the example of personal injury attorneys. Almost every municipality in America has their mm -hmm. own 
they have a whole bunch of personal injury attorneys, but there'll always be this one that has the craziest commercials and the big billboards. So that if you live in that area and somebody says personal injury attorney, a certain person's name is going to come to mind. Uh, now I can only speak for here in the United States. Like if you're in the uh -huh. Pittsburgh, Southwestern Pennsylvania area, you're probably going to think of Edgar Snyder. If you're here in Las Vegas, uh -huh. you might think of someone like Glenn Lerner, who's been running ads for 20, 25 years, billboards, television, radio, social media, etc. The thing about professionals like personal injury attorneys, and I think this is part of the reason they do the type of advertising they do, is if, you're, if you haven't been hurt, you don't need them. But the moment you get hurt, you need them urgently. And you need to create that association of your name with being a personal injury attorney to the extent that the moment somebody gets hurt or the moment somebody fi finds they may need legal representation in terms of themselves being injured, they don't mm -hmm. even go to look anybody up. They just call you. Right. So how do we, how do we do that? Uh, because that, I could see that running into a big advertising budget to with difficulty ascertaining mm -hmm. any particular market that actually needs you right now. Or am I wrong mm -hmm. about that? Um, okay, so uh, so for that type of campaign, um, it can be done with a small budget, uh, believe it or not. And uh, the way that you can do that is within the Facebook platform, there's this um, option called um, a reach, uh, like, like the reach setting. So what it basically does is that it reaches the entirety of your target market. But that said, it's also dependent on the location and how large the location is. Um, so, for example, if you're targeting 10 million people in your area, then you, you, won't be able to, you won't be able to because you don't have the budget. But normally, yeah. what I found is that for a budget of $1,000 or even $2,000 a month, you can hyper-target a location, meaning you can literally use a zip code or you can put the pin down in a particular location um, in your area. And if the number is about, let's say, 1,000 to 2,000 people, you can just keep targeting that same base of people over and over again through reach advertising. So I would say that, um, number one, yes, it's a really good strategy, but I would only pursue that brand awareness strategy or that, um, like the strategy where you're always top of mind once you have figure, figured out the, re the direct response side. Because the thing is, if you go straight to brand awareness campaigns, like what these folks do, uh, it might not convert later on because maybe it's the wrong messaging or maybe it's the wrong type of creative. Yeah. Uh, so what you need to do first is that you need to test out and make sure that your advertising converts first um, using the traditional direct response campaigns. And once that is well and good, then you can reuse um, the same ad for a different um, set of advertising, which is the reach advertising, which I mentioned and doing like a whole bunch of um, hyper targeted uh, advertising in a particular area. Great, great. So, and part of the time we have left here, and I really appreciate you being here with us, sir, is mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to shift a little bit, just for a moment, from service providers to e-commerce, because I know some mm -hmm. of our listeners may be service providers who also are in the e-commerce market, so I believe it's relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say they have one product that they sell versus mm -hmm. they have an entire retail store. What are some of the considerations in terms of how you vary up the advertising between those two different types of environments? Okay. So if it's a single product e-commerce store, so normally a store uh, that 
only has single product is a product that they've made themselves. Yeah. Um, and to put and to compare it to the other type of e-commerce store, which is a retail store, it's normally um, something that they distribute, so something that they bought and then they sell um, like online. So let's say, for example, it's a it's a Nike and Adidas store, so they sell shoes as compared to a a single product retail store which sells their own shoes. Um, yeah. For example, let's call it Ken Shoes or something. So in that particular situation, in the single product e-commerce store, the way you should advertise differently is that you need to focus on the pain points. So it's very pain point-based copy or it's very insight-based copy because uh, what you need to do there is that you need to establish why your product is different as compared to other products that are out there in the market. So why would they prefer, why would they prefer the Ken shoe over the Nike shoe or the Adidas shoe? So you need to establish um, the insight or you need to establish the problem first in your ad. So there's no selling at all. What, what you need to do first is to establish, um, establish that there's a real need through your ads. So that's for a single product e-commerce store as compared to a large retailer. A large retailer is different in a sense that people are already aware of the shoe. They're already aware of the brand. They're already aware of the variant that you're selling. And what you need to do there instead is that you need to show off your large portfolio. So it's all about selection, not necessarily the insight. So the, our ads for retailers won't have uh, some sort of like pain resolution type of messaging. And instead, it just goes straight to, hey, here's our portfolio. Here's a large carousel ad. A carousel ad is basically like a post with a whole bunch of um, scrollable cards. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen those before where it like it's, yeah. it just shows product after product from the same store. When, when you yeah. click it, it all seems to go to either the same place or, or pages within that same store. I know what you're referring to. The, so that's called so that's called what? A uh, carousel ad? Yes, exactly. Okay, it's good. a carousel ad. Yep. All right. So they do a lot of carousel ads um, and the copy is real simple. It just goes straight to the offer, which is, let's say, you get free shipping on any Nike order or you get uh, 10% off for any on any Adidas order as compared to the single product e-commerce store, which is more story driven. You talk about the mission, you talk about the pain that it's solving and it's normally a video. So I notice that video ads tend to work much better for single product e-commerce stores, mainly because of the fact that they need to establish um, who they are, um, why they do, uh, why they do things, why are they selling the product and what pain are they solving? So it's a very different way of advertising. Oh, I see. Okay. That make that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Let's say you have somebody who who wants to work with your company, because uh, I think at some, this point we may have some people who, as we wrap up here, are sort of leaning in and thinking that they want to look at a new approach to doing their advertising, whether they're a service business or an e-commerce business or whatever it is they're doing that requires a focused ad strategy. How do they go about getting a hold of you and what does their experience look like once they do? Sure. Um, so what you can do first is that you can visit our website, so monolithgrowth.com. And on that website, there's a link where you can schedule a consultation or where you can get a free audit uh, from us. So again, it's completely free, um, like like no strings attached. And what's going to happen there is that uh, we will set a call. So for about 30 minutes, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about your business, um, like um, like what the what the opportunities are, um, what have you been doing before in a marketing standpoint, uh, what you stand for, what angles have worked, and what hasn't, etc. And what's going to happen in that 30-minute um, call is that I'll, I'll also ask for 
um, access request on your website. And if you're running ads, you're also your um, advertising platforms, if you're running Google ads or Facebook ads. So just view access, I won't be able to edit anything. And what's going to happen there is that after three business days, I'm going to produce a manually made 30 to 40 slide audit which covers off, hey, this is what your competition is doing. Hey, this is the insights that we found in your market. These are the pains uh, that they talked about. Like, for example, when I talked about the 3D modeling services company, um, I could have only known the fact that architects have a problem with engineers through deep research. So we do that at the very start in the audit phase. So in the audit, uh, apart from that, it also includes some recommendations. So what you're going to see there is basically a plan, like a plan of what we think is going to help you um, in the long term. And alongside the plan, there's also going to be targets. So we will set targets in terms of the lead volume that we can achieve in terms of the cost per lead. Or for an e-commerce business, it could be an ROI target as well. So that happens um, during the audit creation phase. And then it's going to be a second meeting where, uh, where, where we then iterate, discuss, or modify uh, the strategy or the plan if it's looking good for you. And if the deal is closed, then what's going to happen for uh, the first um, four weeks is that in the first week, it's mainly going to be set up. Um, so you won't be charged for the setup or anything. So it's all complimentary as well. Um, and in the second week, uh, we will start running ads. So the expectation on the second week is that there should be some sort of traction. So there should be some leads coming in. It, the results will be instant because uh, the results will only come in on um, the third week. So the third week is where we start iterating on the ads because what's going to happen is that on the second week, we will, um, we will like, test out multiple ad copies, um, three to five. We'll also test out multiple targeting options as well, three to five, because we're, we're still trying to learn, right? We're still testing, trying to figure out what works. But the third week, we'll see what works. And on the fourth week, that's where um, more stable results come in. Like, hey, this is going to be our ongoing lead volume. This is going to be our ongoing cost per lead, etc. But that's how the experience looks like. So week one is going to be set up. Week two is going to be initial testing. Week three, finding out what works and what doesn't. And week four is where we start scaling things up. So that's how the experience looks like from visiting the website up until the first four weeks of the engagement. Great. And I just want to make sure that our users are aware of your website. It's monolithgrowth.com. So just want yes. to make sure everybody has that noted. Okay. So Ken Costales, I want to thank you so much for being with us here today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. I've learned certainly a few things from you in terms of not only terminology, but also strategic thinking that hadn't even occurred to me. So you've enlightened me a bit. Thank you so much. Thank you as well for having me here. All right. So we trust everybody's enjoyed today's episode, the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.